Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we have an exciting topic, which is how does the gospel change everything? Every part of our lives, every way that we think about things, every way that we live, (laughs) think, all the things. If you have no idea what the gospel is, do not worry. We are going to go over that before we talk about how the gospel actually changes and affects our entire lives. So just hold tight for a second and I'll go over that in the beginning of the podcast. And then we're going to go ahead and chat about what are the implications about this? Why does this affect our everyday life and how can we connect with Jesus and with God and how can we let the gospel totally infiltrate every aspect of our lives? The good news of Jesus which is what the gospel means, has completely changed history. It's completely changed our relationship with God, and it's also changed our lives on such an intimate level. And so I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Our foundational text for today is Isaiah 53. We're also going to use Romans 3, 21 to 31, and then a few other verses thrown in here and there, but those are going to be our main ones. And I really like kind of using the Old Testament and the New Testament together to talk about the gospel because Jesus was totally prophesied about and totally predicted in the Old Testament. There is some very, very descriptive and accurate prophecies about how Jesus would come to earth, how he would die, and what the implications of that were, even in the Old Testament. And so I'm really excited to talk about that as well. All right, let's go ahead and dig into today's show. Hey Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Catherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. I want to make sure that we are connecting with God and that I'm asking him to speak through me before we get into the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how much you care for us. Thank you that you intimately care for the heart and the life of every single woman listening to this. And you are the God who never fails. You had a plan in place for humanity since the very beginning, since you even decided to create us for all of time you had this plan to save us and I thank you for that and I pray that um, you would use me to be able to communicate the gospel today and that that would be communicated clearly and that your message would come across and not my own. Thank you Lord for everything that you have given us and um, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in Jesus name. Amen. Okay let's start with the obvious which is what is the gospel? This is very important. And I don't want to assume that everyone knows what the gospel is. I also don't want to assume you know what the word gospel means. So gospel literally means good news. We are talking about the actual good news of Jesus. And we're talking about how his life, death, and resurrection 
changes everything for the world and for us. It changes all of human history and it changes our lives today. The gospel is really beautiful in that it's simple enough for a child to understand. My husband does Sunday school with our church. And so I see him, you know, since we're in the pandemic right now, I see him talking to the children over Zoom and he's communicating the gospel to them, preaching the gospel to them. And they get it. They might not get it on the depth of level as adults, but children can grasp what the gospel means. They really can. And so it's simple enough for a child to understand, but it's so nuanced and complex that we can continue to contemplate and study it for the rest of our lives. And we will never fully appreciate the beauty and the depth and the incredible sacrifice that Jesus gave us on the cross. What is the gospel? We are going to look at Romans 3, 21 to 31 in order to answer that question. Prior to this part of Romans, Paul, who is the writer of Romans, talks about how all have sinned and all are under the power of sin. So he spends a lot of time talking about that. So if you want to know more about sin and how all of that works, I recommend that you read Romans. It could be a bit dense, but it has a a lot of really great theology in there. So he says that all have sinned and all are under the power of sin. And really what sin is, is sin is contrary to the standard of God. It goes against his good plans. It distorts our relationships. It destroys our relationships. It distorts and destroys our world. Sin is very destructive. And because God is so holy, sin goes against his nature and goes against the way that we were intended to be. And because of sin and the way that it has affected us and affected our world and affected our relationship with God, we need a way to be reconciled with God. And I looked up the definition of reconciled. This is the definition from Merriam-Webster. Some common synonyms of reconcile are accommodate, adapt, adjust, conform. And while all of those synonyms mean to bring one thing into correspondence with another, Reconcile implies the demonstration of the underlying compatibility of things that seem to be incompatible. So if humans and God are incompatible, reconciliation brings us into that compatibility. And I really like that distinction that the word reconcile has, which is why I want to use that word, even though it sounds a little like, I don't know, fancier or something. Due to sin, we need a way to have restoration in our relationship with a holy and a just God. I love that we're created by a God who doesn't just let injustice slide. You know, it's like when we see injustice done by other people, we think, oh, that's terrible. That like justice needs to be done. And for sure it does. But when we see wrong done by us, we want grace and mercy. And the thing is, (laughs) it's not like God is going to judge like your sin differently than someone else's sin if it's the same sin. So we need a way for that justice to be served and also a way to be reconciled to God. And that's what the gospel is about. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross is he brought that reconciliation. He brought that way, that method of being able to be close with God again and being able to access that intimate relationship that we were designed for. God himself provides that reconciliation for us. He could have just left us to our own devices. He could have just decided that we had to find our own way back, which would not have been possible, I don't think. God provides the method for us. He does all of the work, and we basically just have to accept it and believe 
So how does God provide this reconciliation? He does it through the perfectly lived life, the sacrificial death, and the actual ultimate resurrection of Jesus, the chosen one, the Christ, the son of God. So Jesus came to the earth as he was born as a man to the Virgin Mary, and he's the son of God and he lives an absolutely perfect life, sin free. And then unjustly, he dies on the cross and he carries our sins. He conquered death by rising again three days later, and then he ascended to heaven afterwards. And so that's the gospel is that we, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, have been reconciled with God. The blood and sacrifice of Jesus have covered our sins, have paid for or atoned for our sins. We no longer are held by the power of sin. We get that freedom. We don't have to live beholden to sin anymore. We get to live a a free life, a life where we get to choose to follow God. To back this up, let's look at some scripture. So you know I'm not just making stuff up here. Um, We are looking at Romans 3, 21 to 31. And again, this is the NLT version. Verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. This beginning section of Romans, when he's talking about the law, is the law that came through what's called the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So Moses and the prophets wrote down the law that God had given them, and this was based on a system of animal sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. It was a temporary measure. It was only ever meant to take place until Jesus came and ultimately was the sacrifice. And now that Jesus has been the sacrifice and that our relationship has been perfectly atoned for and perfectly reconciled with God, we no longer need to do animal sacrifices. And he's talking here also about how there was all these different laws in place around what people could eat, how people were to live, different types of rules that were ultimately fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. 
the sacrifices of the time, they were imperfect, and they no longer need to be done. Also, I want to clarify at the end of that passage, it talks about the Jews and Gentiles. So the Jewish people were a holy nation chosen by God, and God intervened with them and communicated with them throughout the Old Testament, throughout history. And then it talks also in the Old Testament about how ultimately all of the Jewish people and all of the Gentiles would be brought into a reconciled relationship with God. It was never just meant to be only salvation for the Jewish people. Gentiles are anyone who is not Jewish. So I'm not Jewish, so I'm a Gentile. And I have just as much right to have faith and belief in Jesus and to receive the gracious gift God has given us as a Jewish person is. We are all seen as equal and loved in the sight of God. So you do not have to be Jewish to receive this gift. And that's what he's talking about at the end there. So in verse 25, it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So Jesus came to earth. He lived his life. And if you want to know more about how he lived his life and his ministry and the things that he said, I highly recommend that you read the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want sort of a condensed version, you might go for Mark. But I tend to prefer reading John. They're all great. Honestly, they all have different stories. Some of them have stories that also overlap which is great because then you can see the same story from different perspectives or you get like different details in each story. All of the gospels there will describe the life of Jesus. And then they also all describe the death of Jesus, how Jesus did not sin. He did not do anything wrong, but ultimately he was condemned by his own people, by the Jewish people, largely because they were threatened. They felt threatened by his ministry and by his claims and how he claimed to be the savior of the world, how he claimed to be God And they found that to be blasphemy. And so they were trying to get rid of him because they felt like he was a threat to their power. Jesus was flogged, which means that he was he was whipped in a very harsh way. He had to carry his own cross and then he uh, couldn't and someone had to help him. And then he was nailed to the cross and he hung next to two criminals. Jesus died on that cross and the sins of the world were on his shoulders when he died. It says that the, the darkness came And almost all of his disciples, almost all of his followers had abandoned him at the cross. Um, A lot of the women who had followed him actually were at the cross, including his mother and a few other Marys. (laughs) Lots of Marys in the New Testament. Once he died, he was laid to rest in a rich man's tomb. And then he came back. He was resurrected and he appeared to some apostles. He appeared first to a woman and then he appeared several more times and then he ascended to heaven. Jesus conquered death. He was the literal sacrifice, the blood sacrifice for our sins. How loved are we that that's what God chose to do for us? He didn't have us die for our own sins. He had Jesus, his son, do it for us. And we are all able to receive that gift. All it takes is faith and belief. And trust me, that's not always easy. (laughs) Verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. That's it. It's faith and belief in Jesus. And in exchange, we get to have a life of true freedom, a life of beautiful connection with God. God is really gracious with us. I don't know if you guys can hear, but there's like a bird symphony going on outside my (laughs) window here. All right. 
Isaiah 55 is the other passage I want to point to, and Isaiah was written before Jesus came to earth. And what I love about Old Testament prophecies about Jesus is how accurate they are, just crazy accurate. And it really does describe and affirm who Jesus is and what he did. This prophecy comes after God has discussed kind of the doom that it's coming upon Israel during this time in the Old Testament. They had not repented. He'd given them a ton of chances to turn back. They had not repented for their sins. They had kind of abandoned him. And so ultimately he allowed another nation to conquer them. After talking about that, he comes back to how he is going to save them. And that's the thing about the Old Testament is as much as God talks about letting Israel be punished for their sins, God also talks about how much he loves his people in the Old Testament. And he also talks about how he will take care of them and provide a savior. We're going to start in verse two. And when it says my servant, it's talking about Jesus. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. So again, we didn't do anything to deserve this, but Jesus felt that we were worth it. I was talking to uh, my brothers and sisters-in-law. My husband's one of six. So I have quite a few brothers and sisters-in-law, especially as some of them have gotten married. And we were just chatting about how sometimes in the Christian church, it's popular to say like, oh, Christians, people, humans are not worth anything, that we're worthless. I don't think that's supported by scripture because Jesus felt that we were worth it. God felt that we were so worth it that he decided to send his own son 
I believe our lives have incredible value, that you have incredible worth to God. So much worth. He couldn't stand in existence where you were not reconciled to him and where you didn't have direct access to him. And so he made a way for you to have that access. He made a way for you to be in deep connection and deep relationship with him. That doesn't sound like we're worthless to me. I do like in the beginning of this passage where it actually talks about how with Jesus, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. I find this really interesting. It doesn't say that Jesus was particularly beautiful or attractive. It kind of says the opposite. And in fact, in the chapter before this, it kind of talks about how he was disfigured when he was beaten. I find that interesting because a lot of times humans tend to kind of value beauty and we use that as a way to measure worth. And in Jesus's case, he's of immeasurable worth. And yet there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. He was despised and rejected. His own people rejected him. His own disciples, for the most part, abandoned him. Peter, one of his disciples and one of his closest friends, rejected him in that he denied he even knew Jesus when Jesus was um, under trial and about to be crucified. A lot of people abandoned Jesus, and I just love to point out that a lot of women did not abandon Jesus, and they went to the cross and watched him die. Verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment for God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We get to experience ultimate wholeness and healing in the redemption that Christ has brought for us, in the wholeness we received through his sacrifice. We have all strayed away, and yet God would put all of our sins onto Jesus, and they are no more. When I was having that discussion with my siblings, you know, what is our ultimate identity? We were talking about, hey, are we sinners or are we saints? And the New Testament talks about how we're saints. We're definitely called saints. It's not just like, oh, the fancy people <laughs> who have done a lot, a lot of work with ministry. We are all saints if we have been reconciled with God by believing in Jesus. And so definitely our identity is saints, but then because Jesus came and wiped our slates clean, because he continuously does that for us, our primary identity is not sinners anymore. We do sin, but he has already provided a way for us to be in close relationship with him. We are not bound by our sin anymore. That doesn't mean we continue to sin and do it purposefully because We are in such a good, close relationship with God when we choose to follow him that we want to please him and we want nothing to get in the way. And we know that sin ultimately does destroy us and it destroys our world. It leads to a lot of selfishness. It leads to a lot of brokenness. It causes those things. And so when we see that, we don't want to do that anymore. But that doesn't mean that we stop sinning. We're always sinning. And Jesus has paid the price for all of those sins. There is no sin you commit that he hasn't paid the price for. One more thing I want to point out in this section before we move on is that in verse 3 it says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. When we have deep grief, when we have deep sorrow, we also have a God who understands those things, who has experienced those things as a human. God the Son, Jesus, has experienced those and he understands our pain on a level that we can't even grasp. (laughs) He was fully human. And what was done to him was so unjust, so wrong, because he was so perfect and he died for 
the sins of all these people, and he had never committed sin. He's been rejected. He's been despised and hated by his own people. He has faced such rejection and pain, physical pain, human pain. He understands that. So when we're in pain, we can go to him fully confident that he can empathize with us and we are fully taken care of by him. All right, so that's the gospel. Powerful stuff, people. Now, how does the gospel change everything? Well, (laughs) Jesus literally conquered death. So we don't need to fear death anymore. He conquered death through the resurrection. He came back and he ascended to heaven. And we don't have to live in fear of ultimate death because we will not experience ultimate death when we believe in him. Also, Jesus is our advocate. It says in 1 John 2, 1, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So the most righteous person who has ever lived is advocating for you and has or has taken the punishment for you so that you don't have to have the punishment yourself. And he advocates for you with the Father. I do not know exactly what that looks like. <laughs> I've like tried to picture Jesus talking to God on my behalf, and it's a little weird to imagine. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it looks like, but I do know for sure Jesus advocates for me. And that's incredible because he also faced all of the pain and punishment and death that I should have faced instead. So what are we saved from? We are saved from sin and death. We have life eternal and we will not experience eternal death. Romans 6 verse 20 through 23 says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we used to be enslaved to sin before we started believing in Jesus. And then when we believe in Jesus, we're given a new life, a life, an eternal life, one that is ultimately fulfilling. It makes us whole. It is how we are intended to live. And we are saved from eternal doom. All of the old ways of life, all of the old ways that we used to sin and all of that is completely atoned for and paid for. And we recognize that that was wrong. But we don't have to be bound by that anymore because we're given a new identity in Christ. So we don't have to sit there and dwell on all the things that happened in the past because the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I know that that word in verse 22 where it says we are now slaves of God sounds kind of unappealing. (laughs) What it means is that we're his servants, that we follow him, that we have chosen to pledge our lives to him. And of course, nobody likes the word slave. That's not like a positive term. But at the same time, it does kind of describe that life of following God and serving him. When we do those things, it leads to holiness and it leads to eternal life. Holiness means set apart. We become more like him. We become more righteous, less sinful over time. God promises to do that for us throughout the New Testament. But also, it means that we're set apart for his His purpose. So my pastor mentioned this a few weeks ago. He was saying, A lot of us know what we're saved from, but at the same time, do you know what you're saved for? What are you saved for? What are you saved to do? What is your purpose? And our purpose is to serve God. And when we do, our lives have deep meaning because it has eternal 
implications. When you choose to serve God, everything that you do that is in obedience to him and is for him, it matters forever. And when we act in that way, we experience joyful fulfillment here on earth. And then also when we go to heaven someday, when we have that ultimate experience of being in God's presence, completely unseparated from him. Sounds mind-blowing. I have no idea what that's going to look like. It's fun to think about, though. I know that when I act in obedience to God and for the purpose that he's given me, I do experience joy and I do experience fulfillment in a way that I don't feel it when other things are happening in my life that also give me joy. Starting this podcast was an act of obedience to God, and it was super scary, (laughs) and I still feel scared recording right now. It's an act of obedience to God, and I have a lot of joy putting these together. I have a lot of joy recording. I have a lot of fear publishing but a lot of joy feeling like I'm serving God and doing things according to his purpose for my life. So much more satisfying than temporary pleasures of the world. I also want to point out that we don't need to live in shame anymore. So we might recognize that the things we did in the past were wrong and that we agree (laughs) that they were not the the right way to live. They might have been harmful to other people, might have been harmful to us, might have been harmful to our relationship with God. But when we choose to believe in Jesus, we don't have to live in shame anymore. And so if you have something in your life that is shameful for you and it produces just like a ton of guilt and it's hard for you to shake and it hurts and it feels like darkness and a heavy weight, you're saved now. That's not from God. Shame like that stops us from actually fulfilling our purpose and it makes us feel really trapped and utterly hopeless. And that's not how we're supposed to live. If we're in a place where we're feeling trapped and hopeless because of something that we've done or something that was done to us that we still feel shame for, how are we supposed to live a free life? How are we supposed to live into the purpose that God has specifically designed for each one of us as an individual? And so some churches and some people preach a very shameful message that you should feel shame all the time. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't feel some deep gravity, some deep sense of maybe sadness or loss or repentance for your sins. That's different though, because when you actually, when you repent and you bring those before God and you tell him what's happened and you ask for his forgiveness and move on, it should be a moving on. It should not be a continuous shame thing because Jesus has already covered that sin. It's taken care of. And sometimes it takes us a long time to kind of work through that, and that's totally fine, but we don't live in shame. Shame prevents us from living into the purpose that God has set aside for us. So beware those teachers who are teaching you that you should live in shame. We are set free. He didn't die for no reason. He died to set you free and to bring you into relationship with God. And to me, the best part is that we get to live in full relationship with God. We get full access, we get total grace, And we have the freedom to follow him without worrying about what's going to happen to us, without worrying about our past, without worrying about our future. God has everything taken care of. He can see fully into the future. He knows and he has a plan for each and every one of us. We are fully taken care of and he is our true security. So how do we receive this gift? How do we receive the gift of Jesus? It's very simple. In the verses I was reading before from Romans 3, It says to believe in Jesus. That's what it is. We believe in Jesus. And we don't just believe in him one time. You know, it's not like, I don't know. There's all those like altar calls when I was a kid where they would say like, 
invite Jesus into your heart, but there was no follow-up and then you kind of just like forgot about it over time. True belief is active. It's continuous. It's challenging. Some days I wake up and I'm like, whoa, is God real? (laughs) We have to actively believe. And there's all kinds of things we have to work through. That's the reality. It's not just like we stop being human and we stop questioning things. We are meant to question things because we have a brain and God gave us this brain to think. But we ultimately come back to a belief over and over and over again that Jesus died for us and that we are reconciled to God. We come back to that even when we have questions, even when we have doubts, we come back to that. Jesus also tells us in the New Testament to be baptized. And so that's also a step that you can take. I became a Christian actually through one of those altar call thingies. When I was, I think, 13, I was in middle school and I was sitting in a chapel and the speaker was very loving and very kind and he just laid out the gospel and that's what I wanted. So I chose to follow Jesus. Now, does that mean I have perfectly followed him since I was 13? Absolutely not. Um, And in fact, I have had periods where I have not believed in Jesus or I've kind of walked away and then come back. And that happens too. I ultimately decided to get baptized when I was in college after a pretty rough period where I was kind of emotionally distant. I feel like God pursued me and brought me back into relationship with him. And then I decided to get baptized. And it was such a joyful experience for me to be dipped into that water and pulled back out. I just felt like my sins were literally being washed away and I was being brought into new life with God. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but that's really actually how I felt. It was very beautiful. So let's just kind of summarize. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, that he conquered sin and death, and he was resurrected. He ultimately ascended to heaven afterwards. And because of that, we are set free. We are set free to live a life fully committed to to God and to Jesus and to fulfilling our purpose that he has given us specifically. We receive this gift by believing, continuous and active belief. If you want to learn more about the gospel, about God, Jesus, I'd highly encourage you to find a local church where they are actually preaching the real gospel of Christ um, and that you would find maybe a Bible study or a group of women to meet with every week. If you want to know more about God, you can also email me. My email's in the in the show notes. But find people to get connected to. Find a community because a community of Christians is so important to developing your faith and understanding more about who God is. We are meant to live in Christian community. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose that is perfect and lovely and beautiful for each and every person who is listening. Thank you that you have saved us from sin and death and that you save us for the purpose that you have set aside for each of us. Thank you that our lives have eternal significance and value in you and that we don't have to prove ourselves in this life. We just have to follow what you have laid out for us because that is the most fulfilling life. I pray that you would work in the hearts of every woman listening And I also pray that you would bring many women to know you. What a gift that is. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. See you all next time. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show, and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. 
Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.